watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the binge in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, And we have five movies for you this time. Borat, subsequent movie film. The Craft, Legacy. Kajillionaire. The Witches. And Bad Hair. And as always, we're going to be rating these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Even the pandemic is too short for that mess. Jason, we've taken a minute since our last episode. We have. It's, it's been a beat, and uh, during that beat, a little thing happened called the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca, our, our longtime listeners might remember... Our first episode after the last presidential election, uh, which was a notorious episode of immense sorrow and darkness. (laughs) 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 I think that my I can speak for my voice. I think my voice had gone down a full octave just from sorrow and grief. Mm -hmm. And I think we even at the time were like, this is going to be such an interesting time capsule someday to like look back on on how we were doing just days afterward. Cause I think it was like that weekend, like mm-hmm. we were taping that episode. So it was all very fresh and we did not know what to make of anything. All we knew is that we did not think the love, Witch was that great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and here we are four years later with the witches <laughs> still. Yeah. Now doing two different witch movies. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so as, as we've seen, if nothing else, the last four years have been great for uh, the witch industrial complex. <laughs> so just like Eisenhower told us it would be, <laughs> or at least which, which sequels slash remakes slash knockoffs. So uh, Rebecca, it seems that we have good news uh, in terms of the election as we tape this on November 15th. The current president still, of course, has not conceded and may not ever. Um, but it, things at least are looking more optimistic for this taping than for our last post-election episode. Yes, definitely. I mean, I guess looking back, I still don't know what it meant. <laughs> I still don't know what these last four years have been. Um, but uh, hopefully hopefully we won't have to uh, think about it uh, much longer in, in that very um, present-like state. I. You know, we can't ever let this go um, and we can't forget that there are uh, hordes of uh, people who are, you know, still on that train uh, amongst us. You know, hopefully each episode won't be uh, clouded by a new set of crazy bad news that we've heard every week. Yeah, it still will be, but hopefully it'll be a little less... uh, from the from from the top of the government. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy to imagine having that mental real estate back, <laughs> um, you know, to focus on other things like movies <laughs> um, and uh, and not on, you know, the death of democracy. So uh, although with that said, um, one of the subjects from a movie we talked about in the last episode, Ms. Stacey Abrams, superhero, uh, who is credited in no uh, small part with Georgia historically turning blue in this election. Um, in case everyone is not aware, everyone who is is uh, democratically oriented, uh, there is still one last election that we all need to be very worried about. 
which is the Georgia runoff elections on January 5th. Uh, that will determine two Senate seats, uh, and both must be won by the Democrat candidate, John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock. They have to win or we don't have control of the Senate. And that will be very, very bad for Biden-Harris uh, for their first term, for at least the first two years. Um, so we we all have to please, uh, if you're able, join us in making donations to Stacey Abrams, to John Ossoff, to Reverend Warnock. Uh, to to help get this over the line because uh, it comes down to this now, unfortunately. It does. Um, and yeah, hopefully the, the time that we take uh, the real estate back, we can use it still towards um, ensuring that we have a democracy. Um, mm-hmm. But it'll be nice. It'll be nice to uh, to do that with a little bit of hope yes. in our spirits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, talk me through how you like where were you what were you doing uh that saturday i guess mm. it was just last saturday um <laughs> was it, oh, wow, it yeah. was yeah i think it was just last saturday yeah um when it was officially called for biden uh i was sleeping and <laughs> uh some neighbors were yelling and we kind of looked and we weren't sure and, and um my my girlfriend was like oh, i think that might be it and she kind of checked the news I looked outside. I thought they were just yelling about how cute a dog was because there was people gathered <laughs> around a dog. And then uh, and then she checked and she was like, no, uh, that's it. So we put on the news. And then that was like around eight something. And then clearly at around nine o'clock, people, other people in the neighborhood woke up because that's when like the pots and pans started <laughs> and a whole mm. other uh, round of people yelling out of their windows, which was which was cute. And uh, and then we went, uh, took a drive around, you know, to uh, work the whole work, the old horn. Around Oakland, mm-hmm. uh, got a little mm-hmm. horn action mm-hmm. in, and uh, <laughs> and then went home and drank some champagne and another bottle of wine. How about you? <laughs> but more importantly, did you ever find that cute dog? Yes, adorable. Simply adorable. Good, good. good. Because I'm sure that dog was startled by those pots and pans. So I just, <laughs> I just hope that I just hope the dog is okay. Um, yeah, it was anticlimactic for me, um, as it was, I think for many on the, on the West coast, um, because it did happen fairly early in the morning. Uh, you know, so I woke up, uh, around, I don't know, quarter to nine or so and looked at my phone and I just saw all like the news notifications. Uh, and I was like, huh. And that was it. So that was, that was, that was oh. pretty much, that, that was how it ended for me. Um, like Scott was not in the bed. He was already up front watching TV, watching the news coverage of it. So I was just lying in bed and I looked at my phone and that's how I found out. And, uh, and then I make breakfast and I put on Kesha's rainbow album, which I highly recommend for any sort of a a (laughs) post-Trump celebration because it's really, it's really a feel good album about moving on from trauma. And, uh, so it was, could not have been more on the money, uh, for how we were both feeling, um, and, uh, and yeah, and then we, we just kind of, it was honestly, that was, that was a tough day in the homesickness department because we're watching MSNBC, watching their coverage and, you know, and they keep, um, cutting back and forth to live feeds of celebrations in cities all around the country and around the world. And they kept cutting to 18th and Castro in, mm-hmm. in, in San Francisco. And it was hard to see that. Because living where we used to live um, on Dubose, we would have had our pick of so many different celebrations that we could just walk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'd be like, oh, do we want to walk to the Castro? Do we want to walk to City Hall? Do we want to walk deeper into the Mission? 
Um, and here, it, 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 we were like, where do, where, where do we go? <laughs> where, mm. where do we, where, where, where are we supposed to? And I like correctly guessed that of course, West Hollywood was going to be where it was all happening. And, um, <laughs> but, uh, but we also were like, well, how would that even work? Do we just like drive up to just that general neighborhood and just try to find parking and then just wander around to the party? And um, so we did not go to any celebrations. We went furniture shopping. That was how we spent the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and then out to dinner with uh, with a friend of the podcast, Andrew Hamp, uh, and his wonderful husband, Brian, who happened to be visiting L.A. for his birthday. Um, so, yeah, so we got to at least toast to it that night. But, no, I, I did feel a little, like, blue-balled by the whole thing because, like, there was – I could not hear any celebration at all in our neighborhood, even though there's, like, Biden-Harris signs in every lawn. Um, because we just live in a really quiet area. <laughs> so mm. um, so I, I, I did not personally have that experience of like, oh, my God, people are pouring into the streets to celebrate. Like, that was not my experience uh, of that day. But all the same, a fine day and uh, <laughs> and uh, and a fine a fine beginning to uh, what will hopefully be the new chapter starting in January. But uh but yeah, that's that's you know what that's that's I'm sure what's up with both of us. I mean, what else oh, is there yeah. to talk about? <laughs> I mean, that I'm is... just gonna ask a question on everybody's mind right now, which is tell us more about going out to eat with people. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So L.A. Um, is pretty cash um, about things. Uh, it is like it truly feels like almost every single thing is open, um, except for like bars and theaters. Um, and of course, Disneyland, um, like every, you know, every store is open, every restaurant is open. Um, and the restaurants since LA, um, as we've mentioned several times is known for its space. Uh, the restaurants have every restaurant has so much space to have like outdoor dining or that kind of thing. Um, and so we've been going out to eat like once a week or so. Um, and Yes. And, you know, and it's been it's it, it's re- it's really it's interesting. I the, the, the first place that we went to, um, we're saying there's a masks on and then the server came up and was wearing all the servers are wearing like PPE. So they have the full face shield and they're just like, you can remove your masks. And we're like, really? <laughs> um, and they're like, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we wanted you to feel comfortable. So, you know, you look around and like not a single person's wearing a mask. Um, and it is, you know, and at first you're kind of like, whoa, all right. Um, but then the longer you're sitting in it, you're like, Ugh, I don't know. Um, be- because, you know, you are surround, like every single table is full. Every restaurant is full all the time. And most restaurants are next to a bunch of other restaurants. And so, and they all have all of their tables out in the streets. And so it really, it, there are definitely moments where we feel very like, I don't know. This is a little like L.A. in general feels much more um, permissive than San Francisco, which I felt like remained just as locked down as it did from March 10th. You know, mm-hmm. um, like from March 10th till September 30th, we it never seemed like San Francisco got any more opened up. Um, you know, I know there was like. You know, some restaurants started to like explore having, you know, like little tiny parklets and on the sidewalks with like two or three tables. But that seemed to be the extent of it, um, at least in the neighborhoods where we were, um, as opposed to L.A., where like it really it honestly feels like everything's open. So 
Um, so strange that LA's numbers seem to go up sometimes. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, but yes, so it was, <laughs> so sorry if that sounded irresponsible that I said that we went out to eat, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but when in Rome, <laughs> you know what happened to Rome? So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, the first movie this week is Borat's subsequent movie film. Released from prison for bringing shame to his country. Kazakh funnyman Borat risks life and limb when he returns to America with his 15-year-old daughter. Okay, let's let's do the thing we do. Borat one, Borat. Uh, yes. How did how did you feel about OG Borat? Um, I was a big fan at the time, uh, as as were as were many of us. Uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting because I really I hate conflict comedy. Uh, mm. You know, I I hate it. Uh, I especially hate, you know, real life conflict comedy, you know, where you have, you know, real life people sort of being tricked into, um, you know, this sort of like uh, aggressive comedy setting where they're kind of being set up to look like fools or to be made uncomfortable. Um, just energetically, I, I just I just don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy taking on those feelings. Um, but, you know, something about Borat, it, it seemed to and maybe it was, you know, the time and place that it came out. Uh, because I believe that it, it came out, was it, I think it was before Obama. It was still like Bush um, whenever the first Borat came out. Let me just fact check that real quick. But, um, you know, so I think that to the extent that he was targeting, um, okay, yeah, it was 2006. So it was still George W. Bush. Um, you know, to the extent that he was sort of um, cracking through the veneer of civility, that the conservative movement still had at the time um, to expose the just sort of like raw roiling racism underneath the surface. Um, it felt like really cathartic um, because, you know, for, for the left, you know, those of us who had, you know, suffered through the two Bush uh, terms, we, I think were very ready uh, for, for that. It felt like an ingenious idea uh, for how to, disarm these people so that they would feel comfortable enough to say what they really thought um, as opposed to like the more socially acceptable uh, coded ways of talking about it, which were at the time still how it worked. Um, so I, I was a fan uh, of the original Rebecca. How about you? Uh, I, I would say I was not uh, for the same reason of not enjoying conflict comedy. Mm. Um, and also, I think not being very familiar with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and and what felt safe coming from him, what his experience, position, identity was. Mm. Um, so I felt like I, yeah, that exposure didn't feel cathartic so much as it felt like reinforcing of this of sad, sad, upsetting feelings. Mm. Um, and and there is even even in the in the you know. Uh, exposing um what you know to be true the methodology of of those you know capture and bait scenarios is always makes me feel very uneasy so mm -hmm. not really a fan um and also it's like that not knowing what the fans of the movie are taking from it and how right. much they are uh you know maybe just being xenophobic and and uh uh, making fun of him and his accent and his sayings uh, mm -hmm. versus really understanding what he was trying to say. 
Right. Yeah. You know, I think that I think that's fair. Um, and clearly, as we saw, the legacy of Borat for you know the majority of the population tended to be much more fratty and broy, and you know, my wife and very nice and all that. Um, you know, so, uh, but I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to hold a piece of art responsible for every reaction to it. Um, so, so, uh, you know, so certainly, certainly there were many who seemed to miss the point of Borat and did enjoy it for the, the, the baser reasons that you're outlining. Um, but you know, I think there's still, it had that power of, you know, having this sort of disarming outsider reflect America back to itself at a time that, it didn't seem like many uh, many things were reflecting what was mm-hmm. really going on um, with sort of like the ongoing conservatism. So uh, and so what, that's what's interesting about this new sequel is you would think um, that there would be no real story for a new Borat to tell for the exact reason that Sasha Baron Cohen's um, showtime show his recent showtime show who is america i think was the name Mm -hmm. the same reason that people were like well there's no point for this anymore because the thing that was effective about the previous incarnation of borat was the way that he was able to uh get beneath the surface and to get these people to say the actual thing that they're not supposed to say um but um you know given how what, what started in 2008 with sarah palin and what has gone on in the 12 years since then now, those things that used to be forbidden that they had to talk around and speak about in code, that seems downright quaint. Um, and, you know, now, uh, not only are they saying the things that they wouldn't say back then, they're saying far, 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 far more extreme things. Um, and it's all just out in the open now. So so where in that landscape do you need a Borat um, to come in and expose? Like, what is there left to expose if it's all on the surface, right? Well... <laughs> 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 right. Um, so, uh, with that said, <laughs> it, it does it does feel like it does feel like he found a way um, to 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 make the movie at the exact right moment mm-hmm. um, to make this sequel um, because it, it is kind of you know I think he he does understand the landscape of the country in a way that he knows to pivot away from like oh I'm going to trick people. Uh, into saying what they really think. Um, you know, the thing that's so ingenious about this movie uh, is solely and entirely the character of the daughter. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, the performance of this actress, I think her name is Maria Bakalova, uh, and the entire the entire arc of Borat and his daughter as it plays out over the course of this film is what makes it worthwhile. Um, even though, even though it kind of is a little bit that thing that I think you and I have talked about in the past, which is like, oh, you know what, you know the, what what men are supposed to be able to um, hear to make them realize that a thing is bad. So you're like, imagine <laughs> if that was your daughter, or like, I'm, right. I'm a father of a daughter, um, and now Borat is the father of a daughter, um, <laughs> and uh, and you know, so it does feel. And even though this this character of this daughter for, you know, for much of the movie is certainly not um, portrayed with any particular um, sympathy or compassion or humanity, um, you know, she has a really remarkable arc that she uh, that she undergoes as a character and uh, and ultimately, you know, is responsible for the scene that's become the most infamous moment from this movie, which is the Giuliani interview. 
Um, so I, I feel like the, introducing this father-daughter dynamic um, is ingenious, and uh, and I think also and also just um, you know Borat sensing, um, you know, or Sacha Baron Cohen sensing that. To now, to now see that you know the America, you know the American government is now headed by uh, the kind of leadership that has much more in common with this sort of like very uh, you know with, with this more sort of brutal uh, uh, old-fashioned conservatism of of the, of how Kazakhstan is portrayed, uh, and you know it, it really. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen has always been very focused and, and fascinated by these kinds of strongman uh, dictators. He made the movie called The Dictator uh about about one such figure so i think that it, it, he you know it's smart to have this just sort of this idea of reintroducing this character during the late the late trump administration um and uh, especially during covid and during the run-up to the election um you know i think it, he he really did somehow figure out the exact right time to just get in make this movie and get out um but uh but i don't know rebecca what did you think of it i, I agree i think that having the father-daughter story m- makes it more uh, takes some of the edge off around the the, the fear and the cringiness and um, the anxiety that that put, putting himself in these situations you know is so easily felt by the audience, um, and it and it allows them to go into these different situations that are maybe not totally on the path of the political uh, objectives that he has, where they go to the uh, what would you call that like a f- not fake abortion. Uh, facility, oh. but like, uh, right. Uh, sort of like the, the, the sort of Christian, like the OBGYN, right. Uh, yeah. Counseling center. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a great scene. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, and the plastic surgeon, uh, mm. uh, <laughs> debacle. So mm. it, it allows the story to go to those different places and still find these, you know, the sort of classic Borat getting people to say things um, that you can't believe that they're saying. And then um, also, you know, have the 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 political side where he, you know, is with the, the QAnon, uh, mm-hmm. the group. Uh, it's still kind of hard to watch this movie, I think, without understanding how this movie works. What do these people think that they're doing? How right. much of this is scripted? It's it. I find that distracting. Um, who hasn't seen Borat and doesn't know who he is and that this is fake? That that that's a little tough, I think. Still, but it's but the the addition of the the story of the daughter, I think, was a, was a real value that I don't think this movie could have worked without. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and I think you know they they do smartly include a sequence in which Borat is besieged by people who know who he is. Um, right, right. While, while, while he's trying to film. So I appreciate that they at least acknowledge that this character is, you know, is a household name. And, uh, you know, so in, you do see f- far fewer um, ex- uh, scenes of Sacha Baron Cohen playing Borat amongst other people. Um, you know, so they, they, I think that's another kind of smart use of this daughter character is that now she's kind of the character mm. who's being thrust into these scenarios um, to improvise her way through these these high stakes um, uh, scenarios, and which she does brilliantly. I mean, there's been awards talk for this performance, and I am on board. Mm, this mm-hmm. is this is like the most like astonishing high wire performance, especially knowing that yeah, like she is improvising a lot of the time. And I mean, the Giuliani scene, she didn't know what was going to happen. That is uh, wow. 
you know, like she had no way of knowing what was going to happen. And you and do you know that they got they set that up through One American News Network? I did. I did know that, <laughs> which is also an interesting like in the the way things have changed about this this movie versus the first one, right? Where that is a a, a quote unquote credible outlet that could get right. uh, an interview with the uh, the president's council lawyer. of the president, <laughs> yeah, as opposed right. to 2006. Right. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, it's it's just an astounding performance. And it goes from being just so, so shockingly grotesque uh, <laughs> um, for for the first half or so um, to this genuinely moving arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's just it's just incredible. Um, so the Giuliani scene of it all um it is what do, do you think what do you think he was doing there? <laughs> uh, do you think he do you think he was actually adjusting his taking, taking the microphone off or do you think he was actually starting to touch himself? Uh, I think the latter. I think a hundred percent just based on his reaction of when like Boric, someone comes into the room or opens the door, uh, he is like panic to me it was it's clear as day. What about you? I feel like so when we watched it, not both of us felt like, okay, this the actual hand on the pants did seem to be because they said like, you know, he's like, let me take my microphone off. And then he goes to do that. So we did actually think that he was somewhat vindicated in terms of the actual hand on the pants. However, it is also abundantly clear that he is fully entertaining this young reporter's come-ons, which is unprofessional. Um, so I feel like, you know, like since, you know, she is, she is very being very flirty with him, touching his leg, and, you know, and he is going along for the ride all the way. He, like, and, pats her back, and he's like, let's yeah, have a drink in the bedroom. Exactly, exactly. So he is, like, he is picking up what she's putting down, and he is taking it another step. So I think that he was absolutely um, thinking like, oh, I'm going to smash this reporter um, yes. and in him. I know and him going in like, the fact that he is in this. He's lying on his back on a bed, putting his hand down the front of his pants um, to, you know, even if it, it was just to remove his microphone and to pull out the cable. It's still the kind of thing that you you should not be doing. Um, in a small bedroom with a reporter, you know what I mean? Like it's, it is, it is at the, at the very, the best, best, best case scenario reading of that situation is that he was being extremely unprofessional. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it was still, it was, it was just it's such a fascinating scene and that's what they had. She has said this actress, you know, she's like, I truly don't know what would have happened if Sasha hadn't broken in when he did, because, you know, he was like sitting nearby in like a room closet or something, watching the live feed. And when he saw that started to happen, that's why he breaks in the way he does, because he was, he was like, Oh my God, my actress is about to be like molested um, by this psychopath. And um, so, you know, so that none of that was planned. Um, And Giuliani did call the cops on, on Sasha Baron Cohen uh, for that. Yeah, I'm not knowing it was him just being like, oh, now some crazy man has just like run broken into this room sure. and is yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's fucking wild. It's just absolutely wild. Um, and uh, and, you know, it's this movie is going to be a time capsule. <laughs> it's going to be it's really hope, hopefully in with, in the near future. This will seem like such an archaic throwback to a different, much darker time. In the meantime, um, 
I, I think that it's it's it proves its worth. Um, I think that it's it's certainly a movie that many would be like, why on earth would we need a new Borat movie right now? Um, but I think that it, it 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 it's worth it. I think it's worth it. I do as well. What are you going to give this one? I'm I'm in like the binge minus consume plus area on this one. Mm, mm-hmm. I would I would say consume consume plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could see it being uh, hard to watch. And I, and I think that there uh, you could get a lot from reading about it without watching it. But it's also, um, yeah, quite a, quite a time capsule and bold. And it's very, very funny. It is available on Prime Video and rated R for pervasive, strong, crude and sexual content, graphic nudity and language. Movie number two is The Craft Legacy. An eclectic foursome of aspiring teenage witches get more when they bargain for as they learn their newfound powers. So we'll do the dance again. <laughs> the craft. <laughs> I'm assuming you loved it. I mean, the craft is the craft is one of the most formative movies from my entire life. Really? Uh, and I know that I'm not unique in this regard. I know that many, many children of the 90s feel similarly, but... No, the craft. The craft was one of the most formative movies of my life. Because of the soundtrack. Um, the soundtrack certainly was. I mean, the soundtrack has Juliana Hatfield covering Marianne Faithful. So yeah, the soundtrack is definitely <laughs> a big one. Um, but you know, it was you know seeing it. I saw it in theaters when it came out, and in '96, and it it truly changed the trajectory of my young life. Um, because of that movie, I did go through a Wiccan period, uh, in high school, <laughs> um, uh, except for my friends insisted on calling me warlock, uh, because, mm. uh, because they were like, well, that's a, a male witch is a warlock and, uh, which I didn't care for. And so I was just mocked as the warlock for, for some time. Um, <laughs> But uh, but no, I went and like checked books out of the library about like how to, you know, become a Wiccan. And uh, and, you know, I was really all in um, to pursue the whole thing. But then ultimately what kind of pulled me out of it was how expensive it was. Um, <laughs> there was there was like a Wiccan supply store on the south side of Pittsburgh on Carson Street called Eye of Horus. And I would go to Eye of Horus with friends and um, and like look at the chalices. And these chalices were just like $50. And I was a teenager and I was like, mm. I can't afford that chalice. Um, <laughs> what could the Eye of Newt cost nowadays, Michael? <laughs> I know. I mean, it, well, you know, inflation on Eye of Newt is crazy right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, so, yeah, I, I was it, it put me down the path of pursuing uh, Wicca quite uh, uh, passionately for a period of time in the late 90s. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just one of the ultimate sort of just perfect distillations of nineties teen angst. Uh, and you know, it's just, it, it gives you that sense. Anyone who felt like an outsider in any way when they watched it, I think was touched by this vision of like weirdo empowerment. Um, you know, that like that being a weirdo meant your eyes were open to this, this whole, um, this whole channel of power that could give you this like superiority over like the idiot popular kids who don't take you seriously. Um, you know, that it could make you, if you're picked on for your race, um, you can make the popular girl lose her hair. Um, if you have some sort of physical, uh, deformation, then you can have it just disappear and then you're hot. 
if there's a douchey guy, you can make him fall in love with you. You know, like it, it's, you know, it, it was, it's just, it ha- it gave you all those scenarios that I feel like a lot of teenagers um, can relate to. Uh, so I, I am a, a massive, massive, massive fan of the original. So I definitely was going into this movie with a great deal of reluctance. Uh, Rebecca, <laughs> what's, what's, what's your background with the original craft? Uh, it definitely um, fits squarely into my high school experience. I, I believe I saw it in the theaters as well. Um, and it is, you know, if if you're having like a, you know, list the top 10 things that, you know, were of pop culture significance when you're in high school, the craft is is definitely one of them. And the soundtrack is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't quite, as <laughs> one of our old, you know, stories again, uh, not the <laughs> biggest fan of angst, wasn't super angsty, um, in spite of, you know, falling into all of those categories <laughs> that uh, <laughs> <laughs> these these folks did. Um, I I didn't quite have that kind of feeling in high school. So um, while I appreciated the movie, I didn't it didn't you know change the course of my life, and it I didn't feel like it was something that I uh, identified with that much. Right, because you you were the popular kids, so you were the one <laughs> you were, you were the one having spells cast against you. I mean, uh, I was in, in a school. weird phase where uh, I I definitely identified with more of a bully um who would have picked on someone like a uh Feruza Balk type character (laughs) there was actually someone I went to high school with that kind of had a Feruza Balk thing going on and I was a bully and I feel bad about it you know as an adult (laughs) but uh that's just where I was at that point you know you made out alive um with a full head of hair so that's 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 the important thing yeah wait till Um, we get on to Kajillionaire until we talk about um (laughs) (laughs) What we were oh, like in yeah. high school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I had that whole background with the original. So, you know, when you hear that there's a new one being made, you can't help but, you know, roll your eyes and, and, and you know, be like, oh, come on. Why? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was certainly, you know, cautious going into this one, just being like, OK, like this is what kind of fresh hell is this going to be? And. I will say that I was pleasantly surprised. Mm, hmm. I was really pleasantly surprised by the craft legacy. Uh, it is written and directed by Zoe Lister Jones. And I think that she has been so thoughtful in updating the craft, uh, for 2020. Uh, she, cause you know, the thing is about the original, even though, you know, it'll always have a special place in my heart and I will never pass up an opportunity to watch it. It has some problems. Mm. Uh, it is, it is very much a movie of its time. And, uh, and even for its time, it is somewhat regressive. Um, you know, starting with one of the most obvious things was, uh, that Rachel True's character was the only character who had no backstory or family. Mm-hmm. Um, and what she has commented on over the years, which in this movie they address by just giving none of them families. <laughs> <laughs> um, they make the decision to go all or nothing. So no one except for our new Robin Tooney protagonist has a family. No one else gets a family at all. Um, the original also um, had a particularly nasty uh, victim blaming attempted date rape uh, in which Robin Tooney uh, Skeet Ulrich attempts to rape her 
after she has cast this love spell on him um, because he has, you know, she has made him find her so irresistible that he can't take no as an answer. Uh, that was not a great thing <laughs> in retrospect that they were like, well, she shouldn't have done that. That's her fault. Um, and, uh, and then ultimately the biggest of all, the biggest thing of all that was problematic about the first one and that Zoe Lister Jones just completely eviscerates, uh, was the idea that the first movie in a way, it kind of is very misogynistic and portrays these women that when given power, lose their fucking minds and start using it against each other. <laughs> Um, you know, so the empowerment part of the craft is like the first 40 minutes or so. And after that, it turns into like a supernatural cat fight. And, uh, you know, and so it isn't as enjoyable as that can be to watch. Uh, it ultimately is 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 false empowerment. You know, it's not actual empowerment. And um, so Zoe Lister Jones in this update has done away with all of that. There's not even a leader anymore. There's not even a Nancy Mm-mm. Uh, like it is a very egalitarian group of four girls. Um, and they are all about consent. Uh, you know, like the, the biggest conflict in the group comes whenever, uh, you know, a, a spell is cast without consent and without the full group's involvement and inform. Uh, and, uh, you know, and they are ultimately committed to uplifting each other. It never turns into a spiritual cat fight. So it just felt very, you know, and I, I could see some people rolling their eyes watching this being like, are you fucking kidding me with this? Because it is so the other end of the spectrum in terms of mm. that kind of that sensitivity and that respect. Um, but I, I, I have to applaud them. What do you what, what do you think? Yeah, I think that uh, so same uh, concern, even though I you know, this wasn't my um, identifying movie growing up, it still holds a very special place um, as a very important movie from 1996. And I, I hadn't heard a lot about there being a remake and I, I wasn't sure um, that it would, you know, what could you do? And I think that ultimately this is a kind of gentle movie and that it doesn't make too many waves around trying to uh, remake the story in a super ambitious ways. It's, it's just, it's like you said, it's in very thoughtful ways that it updates it for 2020. Um, it, it does take on, uh, misogyny pretty, pretty head on, uh, with the sort of, uh, villain of the movie <laughs> being a, uh, you know, sort of like a Men, red pilly men's rights. men's rights kind of, uh, Jordan Peterson type figure. That was, that was really, well done uh then there's you know there's kind of the whole plot around this uh this bully at their school and then the the spell that they cast on him and how that changes him um which i don't even know if we should go that much into because it is really really interesting and Mm -hmm. i kind of don't want to spoil it (laughs) it is i mean i'll just say that that actor is incredible okay Uh. (laughs) okay calm down (laughs) No, his transformation, uh, like the way that, cause he played the bully so convincingly, mm-hmm. um, Which you were and then, <laughs> right. Uh, and then the transformation, I was like, well, that's not as hot. Um, but no, uh, <laughs> no, no. I mean, just like his, his performance as like the pre spell and post spell versions of that character was, I was just like incredible to me. I thought it was a really, a really standout performance from, from that young actor. It really was. It was so convincing. It could have been so, uh, cheap. If it had done mm-hmm. been done in like a um, in like a, f- a way that seemed like it was making fun of them of that 
kind of post spell right. mentality, but it wasn't. It had such sincerity, and it takes such a turn um, that you don't expect, but really adds a lot of power to uh, the story. Oh, also, there's uh, one of the the witches uh, is trans, mm-hmm. um, and there is another uh, uh, witch of color in the coven. She and that's Lovey Simone, who was the lead in Sella and the Spades. Ah, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Previous right. previous binge yeah. pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that kind of you know I don't feel like all the knots aren't tied. Uh, it gets kind of rushed around the uh, the final act around uh, the you know the confrontation with the villain and how they got there and then there's a you know, a great twist at the end that I wish I had not looked up on IMDb before. Uh, <laughs> I know because they list her. Why did I do that? I know, I know. Yeah, if you're if you're listening to this review and you haven't looked up the official cast list of this movie yet, then don't. Just watch it. <laughs> just watch it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there it, it's it's just super. It's not very clear, um, you know, why the villain has powers and and if there was a reason that his story was connected to hers. Um, but. But at the end of the day, again, it's almost like you, you didn't cause enough waves to make me so upset that uh, the story wasn't super strong um, mm-hmm. because I, I appreciated all of the the little details that you updated it uh, with. Right, right. Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, a friend pointed out um, probably the biggest shortcoming for me for this movie um, is that, you know, these these the rest of the coven is sketched very thinly. You know, the other three girls in the coven, aside from the lead, uh, you know, the, each of the actresses brings a lot of personality to their performance. But in terms of the actual writing, there's like no character for any of them. Like there's mm-hmm. nice, like there's like no identifying details whatsoever. There's no home life, as I mentioned. So, you know, like the characters are in, are barely characters. Um, so and the and the actresses, again, are very charismatic, um, very winning performances. So like I was totally into them and I really I loved the energy they all had. But the writing is very thin. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, the villain is like a you know men's rights activist. And as a result, the male characters in this movie are centered a lot more um, than I would have liked, even though they were centered very intentionally um, for this sort of, you know, critique of, you know, toxic masculinity in 2020. Um, I do also agree that the editing feels a little rushed. Uh, this movie has a PG-13, and for that, I'm sad because I feel like they, oh. when they, I feel like when they were cutting it, I think they were envisioning this as like a big October theatrical release that they want. And because Zoe Lister Jones was so thoughtful in all these choices in terms of representation and inclusion and respect, um, she wanted it to be a movie that any kid can go and see at the theater. Um, and as a result, I think that they probably hedged their bets a lot in terms of things that they cut. There's one scene in particular, um, where, uh, the girls have broken into a boy's room and one of them holds up what you have to put together from context clues is a used condom because mm. they, they, like they, they have clumsily edited something into the shot that's blocking the thing that is being held at the, at the end of her arm. Um, and I think just things like that, you can tell that they were just like, okay, we want this as a PG-13. And as a result, it does feel probably a little butchered. Um, I would love to see like a full director's cut of this movie mm. because, because I do think that Zoe Lister-Jones had a, a, a terrific vision for it. 
the, the villain of it all is also a little Scooby-Doo. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, and I agree that, yeah, there's like this kind of this, this big showdown. You're like, well, where do they all come from? Um, you know, uh, it, it, there, there's some, there's some, there's some shortcut conveniences uh, that are introduced uh, in terms of, you know, wanting to give you a more satisfying finale. And who knows how much of that was studio interference as well. Um, but, uh, and you know, in the, and the soundtrack is not the original soundtrack, but it does make a plus use of 17 by Sharon Van Etten. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, really, really excellent use of it. It is a very short movie when, when I was thinking that when you were talking about the lack of backstory of the characters, I think it's only an hour and a half. Yeah. If that it might be even 80 minutes, it's a real, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a short one. Um, it could have been longer. Like this is yeah. truly this is this is the case of a movie where it could have been longer, and I don't think that would have made it less enjoyable. Um, I think I've also seen people complaining that this is less scary than the original. I'm like, the original wasn't scary. The original <laughs> was it was never meant to be scary. Right. Um, you know, it's like at the end, yeah, there's like a shit ton of snakes and stuff that are introduced. Um, and there were actual real snakes because this was back in the days of practical effects, uh, not not just you know CGI. Um, but, okay, for money, but for this my money, but for my money, all snake fields. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> give me a real snakes or I'm not watching. Um, <laughs> uh, I for my money, there's a scene in this film that is scarier in like an actual like bone chilling way than anything in the original, which is the scene. Um, in uh, the main character's bedroom in the middle of the night when she wakes oh, up and there's yeah. like a shape in the mirror. Like that's a that's a creepy fucking scene. So, very you know, scary. I yeah. very scary. So, um, you know what? Like I'm giving this a binge it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going binge it. I, I really, truly appreciate as a as a super fan. I really love what she did with this update. I welcome it. My other, my only other complaint was that that this big surprise twist in the final few minutes of the literally seconds of the movie doesn't last longer. I'm like, really, you're going to bring mm-hmm. her back and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I so I I hope she gets a sequel <laughs> so that she yeah. can um, unpack that more. Um, I'd although, like to see... t- sorry, no, I was just going to say although it is a twist that that is practically announced fairly early in the movie. But 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 go ahead. I'd like to see more from this this group. I'd like to see another follow up movie um, mm-hmm. <laughs> with more time uh, <laughs> yes. to learn those backstories. Uh, I'm also going to give it a binge. It. I think the only thing that I had reservations about is that it is a uh, it is a purchase movie. It, mm. it is a twenty dollar movie, um, yeah. but still worth it. I'm going to say Amen. binge it. Um, it's available on (laughs) Apple TV, Amazon, and Google Play, and it's rated PG-13 for thematic elements, crude and sexual content, language, and brief drug material. Movie number three is Kajillionaire. A woman's life is turned upside down when her criminal parents invite an outsider to join them on a major heist that they're planning. This is the uh, much-anticipated new film by Miranda July, uh, starring Emma Rachel Wood and Gina Rodriguez. This one felt, <laughs> as I alluded to earlier, uh, this one was a very realistic, surreal film that touches on some some feelings. Um, did you have any uh, any points that you related to the characters in this film, Jason? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what you might be referring to because um, I I actually saw this movie back in like. 
I want to say early September, early August. Okay. So, so it's not as fresh for me. Um, but I am, even though I am on the record again and again as a, uh, a very anti-whimsy person, <laughs> I, I have been a fan of Miranda July's uh, previous two films, uh, Me and You and Everyone We Know and The Future. Um, the, and The Future seems to have like almost no fans, but, yeah, but I enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, so I, 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 I am a fan of hers and, uh, uh, and, uh, so I was very much looking forward to this movie, especially since I kept hearing out of Sundance that it seemed to represent a new kind of breakthrough for her in terms of it, it being her most accessible movie, but also her most satisfying movie, but still very much true to her, her voice. Um, but in terms of moments I could relate to, I'm not sure what mm. part you're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll get there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Evan Rachel Wood stars as a character named Old Dolio. Old Dolio. <laughs> wow. Uh, who has a very dysfunctional uh, three-piece family set um, with just a, a this small unit that runs around all day, every day, running schemes. Running schemes uh, that her father uh, has a vision of only being uh, enough enough of a scheme to get by. Not trying to to make it big, but just trying to pay rent uh, with all of these whimsical, uh, mm-hmm. wacky scenes of uh, breaking into people's mail and uh, trying to win every contest that you could sign up to, and yeah. and their small unit- time small time grifters, small time grifters, <laughs> very low stakes uh, con jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's how the family unit is. It's it's this uh, operation more than it is a family. And old Dolio is, what, 26? <laughs> 26, mm-hmm. we learn later in the film. And they just don't have any sort of, like, parental child relationship. She's just a third of the group, uh, does her third of the share of the work, and gets her third of the, uh, the, the take for these, for these operations. And then they have this operation that uh, introduces them to Gina Rodriguez's character, which kind of upsets the whole dynamic. Um, but if I, if I want to get to the, the piece specifically that I'm talking about, it's that old Dolio, uh, although the situation is, is unique and, um, uh, you know, pretty, well, it's maybe pretty unrealistic, we she has a way of um acting and carrying herself and dressing and behaving in the world that is very uh very young lesbian <laughs> the constant the constant jackets <laughs> the um com- like complete lack of understanding of the dynamic um with <laughs> other people as to not uh <laughs> Not be able to uh, live in a world, I think, maybe where, like, romance is an option. So the whole thing is just, mm-hmm. like, compartmentalized and, and put away. Um, until there's this breakthrough in the movie, which is uh, kind of the one of the more surreal moments. Um, and Gina mm-hmm. Rodriguez's character, you know, works to break break that, that coat of armor that she's wearing uh, in the form mm-hmm. of a track jacket. <laughs> no, I appreciate this 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 queer reading you're bringing to the text. 
and you know, and I think you know, there's, you know, some of it is is there plainly. Um, but uh, but yeah, Evan Rachel Wood definitely uh, does lean into those those ticks and mannerisms fairly aggressively uh, in this <laughs> performance, uh, right down to the voice, honestly. Oh, she's um, an amalgamation of like five people that we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take that one Myself offline. Myself included. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it is, it, this is the kind of movie where in some ways you don't actually, you don't even realize what the true genre is until like the final act. Mm. Um, because it's a very, you know, you're really, at least, or maybe you were picking it up very early. Um, but you know, for me at least watching it, I didn't really know where this all was going. Um, in terms of the sort of the shifting nature of these dynamics between these characters. So, uh, you know, and we should note the parents are played by Richard Jenkins and Deborah mm-hmm. Winger, mm-hmm. Uh, both committing fully to Miranda July's insanity that she has written for them. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think this is just, it's an incredible movie about sort of, I guess, just breaking out of sort of old habits and patterns that are no longer serving you and maybe never were. Um, and, uh, and being liberated by meeting that kind of new person who at first almost feels like a threat to you because they seem like just such a, you know, an apotheosis of everything that your life is. Um, and then you realize that it's actually there to kind of save you from, from yourself Mm. and from this, and from this dead end life that you have sort of become lost in. Yeah, there are a couple of of circumstances that kind of all happen within the same time period that really, I think, open old Dolio's eyes as to a different way to see the world. She, one of the the cons she runs is stepping in for someone who's going to a birthing class, and uh, she is learning all these techniques about how to be a good parent and how to be a good mother. And it's like this weird form of therapy that she's in because she's understanding that not everyone was raised in her, uh, you know, cold official family um, unit. And she ends up like going back voluntarily and having this like really moving session there. And then there's this other con that they go through where they're in this house of someone who they're trying to uh, steal his money. And a much older person, a much older person. And um, he is asking them to kind of continue to make noise. He's old and he's lonely and he's very, very sick. And he wants them to kind of put on this act as though there are people in the house and that there's as, you know, as though it, it's not just him alone. And the family just falls effortlessly into this, into this charade of, um, of making dinner and, you know, what's up? How are you? It was your day, mom. And uh, I'm going to cut the lawn. And, and there's this glimpse of what, life could have been like as a as a more uh, structured, loving, affectionate family um, that that runs for as long as the the gig runs and then is is over in a moment. And I think between those two and uh, Mm. Gina Rodriguez coming in with the with some more concrete uh, advice and support about what things could be like and and what she deserves kind of push her um, Mm. to change. That scene was was so good. The one unbelievable. Yeah, the scene with the you know, with the elderly man was so very powerful, so incredibly beautiful, at perfectly executed across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, arguably the the centerpiece sequence of the entire film. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people 
who have like toxic families, you know, like I, I feel like, well, I feel like few movies have um, sort of distilled the experience of, of growing up in a toxic family and trying to escape it um, or not even knowing you need to escape it until you have an experience that shows you that there's a different way mm. um, than this movie, you know, like it's such a, it, it is, it's a cathartic movie. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, of course it is, has the, the, the gentle absurdism that's, that's Miranda Lai's uh, trademark, but it also feels very kind of grounded in, in recognizable human emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it takes a few very surprising turns along the way. Um, and, uh, and ultimately ends in a place of just euphoria. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. I, I was a pretty big fan. So was I. I found this movie to be um, as uncomfortable as Borat, but as exciting as The Craft. This is getting a binge it for me. Yeah, this is a binge it as well. And this is this is a movie that I've seen a lot of already kind of, you know, talk that this is going to be on a lot of year end lists. And I can see it, you know, I mean, uh, granted this year it's all there's, you know, smaller uh, uh, competition overall, but that doesn't take away from uh the potency of this movie and you know that Marangeli has really broken through to make what is I think indisputably her best film yet and certainly the movie of hers that is the easiest for uh, a July neophyte to get on board with mm. um, because it is less sort of openly uh, brazenly bizarre than her first two which someone might think is crazy if they watch this movie without seeing those they're like that's the least weird one uh, <laughs> yes Yes, it is. Um, but no, it's this is a fantastic movie. It's beautifully performed. Uh, so yeah, absolute binge it. Probably the pick of the week, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say it's pick of the week. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. Pick of the week. And there it is. Uh, and it's available on Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and rated R for some sexual references and language. Movie number four is The Witches. In 1967, a young boy goes to live with his grandma in Alabama. When they encounter some deceptively glamorous but thoroughly diabolical witches, his grandma whisks him away to a seaside resort. Regrettably, they arrive at the same time that the world's grand high witch has gathered her fellow cronies from around the globe to carry out her nefarious plans. It's remake remake after remake. Um, I didn't see the original witches. Did you, Jason? Of course I you did. did. Of course I did. did. Yes, uh, I like you say that with such scorn. Of course you did. Of course of you did. Course I did. did. <laughs> it was not an obscure movie. Um, yes, I did see it, and it was very, very scary. Um, at least it seemed very scary to me at the time. And uh, you know, and again, not, you know, to sound like grandpa, partially it was you know it had practical effects. You know, so it had practical makeup effects. Uh, every you know, it, it was not there was no CGI. You know, in like fucking nineteen eighty nine. So, uh, uh, at least in this movie. So, and what it did so effectively that I saw um, sort of worded well in in something I was reading about this remake earlier was what the original did was it really um, kind of captures that those moments as a child, the fear you have as a child when you start to first find out that not only can you not trust all adults, but that some adults are actually dangerous. Mm. Um, you know, which that is, I mean, that's, that's, that's like a real, that's a horrifying thing as a kid. Um, you know, because your you know, your natural instinct is to trust adults and to find out that some adults, uh, not only are they dangerous, but they might entice you 
you know, they might entice you with, you know, uh, in the case of the witches, you know, there are these, these beautiful, glamorous women who seem very inviting, uh, but are actually trying to eat you. So, <laughs> um, so very, very scary. Angelica Houston gave an inimitable performance. Uh, it's definitely one of the darkest, most <laughs> darkest, scariest uh, children's films of all time. And now we jump to this new one, which has bona fides like crazy. So we have directed by Robert Zemeckis, the screenplay credit to Zemeckis, Kenya Barris of Blackish, and Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> like it, it is mind boggling um, that these three giants collaborate on the script together. Uh, we have Anne Hathaway playing the Grand High Witch. We have Octavia Spencer playing the grandmother. Um, you know, we have so much talent on display here. Um, all of it wasted. Every single last <laughs> ounce of it wasted. Every last okay. ounce just, just just thrown on the floor. Just useless. Useless. Completely useless. At the level with which we agree nowadays. Something <laughs> is off there's a disturbance in the force it really is but go on i okay go on you were like getting so excited you're like finally i'm gonna take him down but no um maybe in the next one who knows but uh oh um sorry brief briefly going back to gajillionaire i I just remembered another thing that i i thought earlier today to compare it to it's kind of like punch drunk love in a way Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like Evan Rachel Wood is the Adam Sandler and Gina Rodriguez is the Emily Watson. Mm. Yeah. Where, you know, like the, the protagonist is stuck in this very sort of like this kind of like absurd, heightened, draining, dysfunctional, screwball family situation. Um, that's just that's just, yeah, just so completely toxic. And then you have this kind of fresh face come on uh, onto the scene and, uh, and just sort of just transform everything with their, with their energy, mm-hmm. um, and their, and their, and their openness. But anyway, back to the witches, which is terrible. Um, <laughs> um, God damn it. Did I hate this movie? Oh my um, God. Thank God. Yes. Right. Oh, go on. So, so fucking bad. Like, how do you have those people making this movie and it's still so, just it's tr- useless, useless, joyless dreg of a movie. There is not a single thing about this movie I enjoyed, not even Anne Hathaway. And I know a lot no. of people have gone out of their way to be like, oh, well, like, you know, it's a very big, fun performance. It's not. It's big. No. Yes, it is big. That can't be denied. But it is not fun. It's not like it's not witty. It's not clever. It's not campy. It's just it's just Anne Hathaway swinging for the fences and being done in by all the over-the-top CGI. It, it was... Is, yeah, her, I, that was disappointing. It, it seemed like it was definitely going to be this real opportunity, but it, it was so... She didn't add anything particularly memorable to it. Her kind of like, you know, weird accent. Um, and maybe that's just what happens when you're working surrounded by green screens. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know people trying to find the eye line of a mouse. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it just seems like she was phoning it in a, a, yeah. a huge missed opportunity, I think for her. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I would agree. Um, it, it just didn't feel like she wasn't finding levels in the performance in a way. It, it's almost like that's what was missing. She was just like at 10 mm. the entire time. 
Like there were just no levels. Um, there was no, it wasn't, you know, she may have been across from Meryl Streep during, in, while shooting The Devil Wears Prada, but she clearly didn't internalize anything from how Meryl brought such levels uh, to that monster character. Um, you know, like this would have been a much more interesting character to be played in that kind of Miranda Priestly way. Um, mm. Instead of just this overly theatrical, over-the-topness mm-hmm. that we get from Anne Hathaway. Um, so that was, I mean, that, that was the one potentially saving grace and it didn't come through. Um, so what's, what's left in its stead is truly just a children's movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that is too scary for children, uh, mm-hmm. because of the, because of the, the special effects of the witches. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not nothing, nothing enjoyable about this. You know, it also, you know, it makes these choices that feel like they're nods to inclusivity. You know, we change, uh, the main character, the young boy is black and it's set in Alabama in 1967. For what? No reason! Uh, <laughs> if there was a reason at any point in some stage of the development of the script, it's been lost. Uh, it is just a th- useless, pointless waste of time. Um, it should have been such an easy slam dunk. It's even on, you know, it's on HBO Max. So I was like, oh my God, what, how fun. This is like an A-list, fun movie. I mean, Robert Zemeckis made Death Becomes Her. You know, like, this is going to be great. Um, and I don't even have to pay any extra for it. And it was, I would like that time back, truly. Um, like, I, I, I was so, so joyless. I was didn't enjoy anything about it. I, I know I keep saying this over and over again, but I still am just so angry um, that, that they fucked this up so badly. I wonder if it is that, just like, you know, the inclusion of so many different perspectives into it. Because I, I feel like it not being one movie or the movie not knowing what it's supposed to be, um, is is kind of the overwhelming feeling. It is it is definitely too upsetting to be a kids movie, and then it is also Stuart Little. Um, mm-hmm. I feel yes, like it's Stuart Little. Thank you. <laughs> Octavia Spencer is like putting in time and a half. Um, but also I feel like I don't know that she quite believes what she's doing. And I, I but it wasn't again. It wasn't campy either. So yeah. the performances yeah. were kind of all in different places, and then uh, the expectations of of what they're supposed to be never uh, were met or satisfied at all. Yeah. There, there, I'm going to tell you something, a... Jason. I didn't finish it. Okay. <sighs> this and the Glorious. How far did you get? I think I got pretty far. Uh, there wasn't, there was like a really gro- gross rat scene. Um, uh. And I, and I, I turned it off with the, the intent to turn it back on, but I was just like, I was kind of getting into the kids movie part of it for a moment. And then I was like, Oh God, I forgot. It's also <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> and it doesn't feel scary. It just feels gross. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It does. Like, it just goes for, yeah, showing you what are clearly meant to be things that, you know, elements to the witch's body is you're meant to recoil from and which is now blown up in their face. Uh, you know, since it turns out that what they thought was just like a wild, disgusting uh, effect they could create for the witch's hands turns out to be an actual thing. Uh, that some people have uh, due to, you know, uh, uh, you know, due to the nature of, of, of their bodies. So, uh, so whoops. <laughs> so their attempt to come up with like the grossest thing they could imagine actually is a thing that actual human beings have to live with every day. Jesus. Um, and, and now they're in trouble for that. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's just nothing here. And I think you're, you're right. Octavia Spencer, there's like a, there's a, there's a hesitation to this performance. So you can feel her being like, is this going to work out? I'm not sure this is going to work out. 
Um, she's like, like she's, she's, she's doing of, it, but she's also like yeah. looking at you like, I don't want to get fooled, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. She's got one foot in, one foot out. Uh, and, uh, and she, you know, she gives you what you want from an Octavia Spencer performance in this kind of role. Um, but yeah, she seems aware that this might not quite gel. Um, but, uh, but Anne Hathaway, she goes all in. She does not, she does not, she does not blink, does not flinch. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, send it back all the way. This is just dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. hundred percent. Send it back. Um, if you, uh, don't believe us or, um, hate your time, it's available on HBO Max and it's rated PG for scary images, moments, language, and ritualistic violence. For real that time. <laughs> Last movie of the week. I think these were a lot of these were on our original Halloween slate, which is why we have a lot of them. But they are, you know what? It's still spooky, scary times, guys. Um, <laughs> they're still yeah. all worth either seeing or not seeing. Yeah. Last movie is Bad Hair. In 1989, an ambitious young woman gets a weave in order to succeed in the image-obsessed world of music television. However, her flourishing career may come at a great cost when she realizes that her new hair may have a mind of its own. Talk about an all-star cast. There are some stars in this movie. That's true. Maybe <laughs> not all-star cast. There's at least, what, Maybe it's three? more <laughs> surprise more? star cast. Mm, yeah, I guess you're, are you, are you just like, I haven't seen Vanessa Williams in ages. Where is she yes. been? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, a, it, okay, it's not all-star. Like it's, okay, let me take it back. It's not like it's George Clooney and, G- and Julia right. Roberts, which right. is the last time I thought of an all-star cast was apparently Ocean's Eleven. But, uh, <laughs> It's like a I mean, it's like a mad lib of awesome people, as in James <laughs> Vanderbeek and Vanessa Williams and Lena Waithe. Jay yeah, Farrow. There's Jay Farrow. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, Justin Simeon, the writer director of this, coming off of Dear White People, both the film and the Netflix series, had uh, had a lot of cachet, and uh, you know, and a lot of these folks are friends of his too, and so he, he and Lena Waithe are, are best friends from way back. So, yeah, I think he, Laverne, he Cox? Had Laverne Cox. He had nothing to worry about in the casting department for this one. Usher? Uh, I keep remembering. That's right. That's right. Usher's in it. Holy shit. Yeah, there's really, it's a it's a real who's who um, uh, playing the cast of this movie. I don't know that any of them helped it in the long run, uh, oh. but they are. Oh, here we are. We're going to disagree. Thank God. <laughs> Finally. Um, yeah, all right. Well, you you take it. You take it then. <laughs> uh, let me just put out first what I think doesn't work for this movie and get okay. that out of the way. Uh, the, the cover art, the cover art poster, I feel like does not do this film justice. Um, this film is, as we mentioned, it takes place in 1989. It's super stylized around 1989, like MTV uh in and in particular they work for this um you know sub affiliate um called culture or the cult and it's like the hip hop and r&b uh style at the time the movie's all about style and uh the cover art just doesn't give you that uh feeling it doesn't give you that retro feeling it doesn't it just is a very scary hand with a bunch of hair which of course is accurate but it doesn't i don't feel like it sells it enough okay that said this movie is a delight. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't like it. This is like, uh, I'm generally not a fan of camp. I found this movie to be hilariously campy. Um, and just like a classic horror film in that there's this um, 
you know, old story of that someone is uh, ignoring in, you know, they don't think it's relevant to them in an attempt to get ahead and everything, you know, comes back to, to get her. Um, there's uh, a very, a, a message here around, um, you know, being true to yourself. There's the whole, uh, you know, hair politics, uh, you know, that's front and center. And this, it's just so fun and campy. Vanessa Williams in the last, you know, 10 minutes of this movie, I thought would be your everything. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. so surprised. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so since, since I am a drag race viewer, I have seen plenty of Vanessa Williams uh, in, the, in the last few years. Uh, because mm. She's a free, frequent guest judge. Um, and did an episode of Celebrity Drag Race as well, uh, which she won naturally, because who else would? Um, so, uh, yeah, so this movie I went into fully expecting to to adore. Um, the the premise sounds like, you know, like it's meant to be humorous. Um, and, you know, we have the sort of added setting of the timeline. And so we got to have that landline uh joke set up of uh of just like looking back at this nightly 80s you know the vision of la glamour and and the tv industry and and uh, and all the rest of it um i think as this movie went on it just wasn't landing for me it just wasn't connecting i was not finding it uh funny i was not finding it campy i was not finding it scary i was not enjoying the performances um and at the heart of it, I felt like Justin Simeon was, it seemed like he wasn't clear on whether he wanted the subject of, you know, the pol- black hair politics uh, and, and weaves to be a joke or to be very, very serious. And to me, ultimately, it felt like he landed on the side of it being very, very serious. Um, you know, he was trying to say something profound about uh, black women and black women's hair and these sort of um, cultural compromises uh, that come with uh, black women feeling pressured to not own their natural hair and to have these elaborate hair systems of weaves and wigs. Um, and what I have seen a lot in uh, responses from prominent black female critics to this movie is a giant fuck you to Justin Simeon uh, for trying to pass judgment on black female hair. This is where it is very much, of course, out of my depth and not anything that I have staying to comment on. So I will direct um, anyone who's curious to check out Angelica Jade Bastian on Vulture wrote one of the most scathing reviews I've ever read of this movie. Um, And, uh, and, you know, and it is, and she articulates uh, with great passion and anger exactly everything that she hated about it. Um, and so I and so I will, you know, and it is meant it is she is the audience for it. And so I will defer to to her and her review. Uh, I also note that um, that a frequent, frequent guest host of our show, Ashley De La Torre, texted me her own very, very, very angry thoughts about this movie. Um, was also not a fan. Um, but, but all that aside, <laughs> so well, I'm like, so, so Rebecca, you uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> you're like, oh, I see, I see what kind of game we're playing right now. 
Um, but uh, but no, so all that aside, you know, so those are all things that I can't speak to because that's specifically about the lived experiences of black women and how they feel represented and how they felt this movie represented them. Um, so I will leave that all aside um, because it's not my it's not it's not my discourse to have. Um, so I will just speak from my from my vantage point um, watching this movie. I just I just didn't enjoy it. Um, I just felt like it was oddly for a movie that had a premise that sounded so hilarious. To me, it was a really joyless movie that just missed its mark almost every time it took a swing. Um, and so I, yeah, I really, I was not, there's really no aspect of this that I particularly enjoyed. The lead actress I thought was kind of grating in one note. Um, uh, in, you know, we, you, you, Vanessa Williams and other actors doing their best with these kind of, um, underwritten supporting parts, but, uh, it just, yeah, it just did not, did not land for me. I, I did not enjoy myself watching this movie and I am shocked because reading the reviews out of Sundance, not even the reviews per se, but just in hearing about it off Sundance this year, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to love this. Um, and I did not. I did not love it. Um, so, uh, yeah, this was this was, this was was a swing and a miss for me. I, I did not care for it. Um, I, I just, I appreciated the, uh, I felt like it was a good homage to, you know, 80s, uh, 90s horror movies in the, the, the way the, the hair, uh, the violence was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, I don't know. It was, I guess it's all, yes, all very obvious CGI. Um, and, and just the, the, the parallel story of this, this woman and her coworkers, you know, having to figure out if they're going to, uh, adapt and adopt the style of the, their new, like corporate, uh, direction, or if they're going to be true to themselves and how much you sacrifice in order to succeed and how that, you know, works in parallel to the 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 hair horror story that she's living. Um, I don't know. I found it. I found it fun, and uh, I found it. You know, it 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 the connection that they make is is it to it to a to this book of slave lore that her uncle gives her, and um, I feel like that made it. You know, it's from the 1800s. There's a, a the spookiness there in you know. Uh, old horror stories um that i don't know i I thought it was i thought it was a a real uh you know saturday evening delight to watch Mm. i'll agree with you that i do think that he he does justin simeon does uh sort of capture that 80s horror movie vibe with the look and feel the score uh the photography uh, you know, I, so I, I do agree that uh, that 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 to me is probably the most successful element of it is insofar as it's an homage to 80s horror. Um, you know, uh, and I think, you know, he has he has some ideas here. Uh, I just didn't think that they were particularly well executed. Well, I will be sure to read that art- article uh, by Angelica J. Bastian. Um, yeah, so she's a great. What, what she's, she's one of the greats. I love her. her I mean, she's such a brilliant writer um but uh yeah not to but yeah so yeah read, read it see what you think um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you, and you'll see also how thoroughly she says things that i absolutely have no saying to say so <laughs> that's why i defer to defer to her take on this um but uh but yeah so all that aside like i'm saying it just kind of didn't didn't do it for me for me this is like a i don't know if it's a full send it back but it's definitely like a consume minus oh well this is gonna be uh 
consume plus <laughs> binge light. Wait till I read this article and it's like nothing has done more disservice to black women in America <laughs> since <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's like that Malcolm X quote about black women being the most disrespected people in America is about this movie. And you're like, oh, dear, I'm going to go ahead and cut this review from the episode. <laughs> Luckily, uh, yeah, I edit this episode. So I'm going to read that real quick and then we'll see how many movies we end up with this week. <laughs> oh, yes. So if there are some awkward cuts around the time that we're naming the, the movies we're reviewing in this episode. <laughs> that's that's why we'll be looking at. Four movies. <laughs> Four movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bad Hair is available on Hulu, and it is not rated, but would probably be rated R for violence, sexual content, and language. That's it. That's Jason, it. Jason, that's all we have. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, um, and we should be back soon with, with more movies. Who can say? <laughs> a week two weeks yeah i mean hopefully uh you know we can start by the, the next time we do this show um probably some more of the quote-unquote oscar movies uh such as they are for 2020 will start coming out and you know what we'll finally get to talk about hmm. is hillbilly elegy oh boy <laughs> <laughs> oh boy oh a boy indeed so we we <laughs> We will have that to look forward to. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.